So I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord from the book of the prophet Isaiah. In the sixth chapter, the opening eight verses, where it is written, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And it continues. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's New Testament reading is from the Gospel according to John. In the 16th chapter, beginning verse 12 and continuing through verse 15, again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written, Jesus is telling his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our Lord Jesus had gathered for a final evening with his disciples. It was one that would be full of food and of drink and of prayer and of a new commandment as well as an extended farewell address as recorded in the gospel according to John. As Jesus is in the process of relating to his friends what he thinks they most need to hear before he is taken from them by the temple guards whom Judas would soon be leading there. Jesus cuts himself off. He says, I have, I have more to tell you all, but I'm afraid that I can't say more right now. You have already been patiently drinking from a fire hose, so I'll let you take a break, have a breath, think about what all you've seen and heard here tonight. I have no secrets 
from you. But you can only process so much truth at a time. When the time is right, you'll hear more. When the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, is sent to you, then you will hear more of my words. Then you will be better prepared to receive what more the Father and I have to tell you. Sometimes, it seems, that what God has to tell us is very hard or very confusing or very both of these things at the same time. Such is, I think, the case when we consider the nature and the meaning of the Trinity. This is the Sunday appointed for us on the church annual calendar for considering this very topic. It certainly can be difficult to wrap our minds around the notion of a God who is one being yet with three distinct, well, essences. Folks tend to pick one of these three as their favorite to identify with. And I think that's all right as long as we don't think in exclusive terms. In other words, worshiping the Holy Spirit and ignoring that it was the Father and the Son who sent the Spirit, or conversely, worshiping the Father while dismissing the divinity and equivalence of Jesus. Perhaps it is helpful to think in terms of water, which can exist in any of three states, solid, liquid, or gas. And we have different names for all three, but they're all water. The same elemental structure comprises each state, but it's all water. Now, that's not, of course, a perfect example, because when it comes to God, He exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit simultaneously. It's not as if He has to pull a Clark Kent and find a phone booth in which to transform into Superman. But this may serve to help us understand the words of our confessions and our creeds, which affirm that God is three in one. So, what does it matter that we proclaim this to be so? Well, I think it matters because it can be helpful for us to know a God who is so accessible to us as this. When God came to us to dwell with us in the form of Jesus, the author of the Gospel according to John described Jesus as the Word, the Word which was with God and which was God from the beginning. When Jesus lived among us, as we noted a moment ago, there wasn't a sign that was put up on the gates of heaven saying, sorry we missed you, be back in 30 years. Though Jesus was truly God and truly man, he spoke to the Father throughout his earthly ministry. And yet, he was right here. God with us, as the word Emmanuel is understood. He was born among men. He preached among men. He taught among men. He healed among men. He ate among men. He died among men. I don't know how much more approachable a God could get than that. The notion that a God 
could have somehow had a hand in the creative process that formed the galaxies and the stars and the planets and all the dust of deep space and then packed up his bags and moved on to another project equally challenging and rewarding? That doesn't describe our triune God, who is not simply the maker, but also the sustainer and the redeemer of all things he made and declared to be good and very good. In his holy word to us, his people, he has promised never to forsake us, never to take up some other pursuit. Having a God so approachable as that, most of us find comforting, but it makes others ill at ease. After all, if you knew that God wasn't like the gods of the ancient Canaanites, asleep at the switch, deaf to your pleas, what sort of God is that? It, it leaves a God who is right here, like a Marvel superhero. And that's, I believe, part of what's made that steady, even overwhelming flow of movies so successful that it continues to churn out story after story. We want to be assured, after all, we want to be assured that we are not alone. Even if it's only evidence concocted by actors on an elaborate set, we want to know that there is or are powerful beings who will intercede for humanity when we are faced with peril at the hands of a force that none of our conventional means can prevail against. If we've banished the notion of a God who can do just this for us, well, the vacuum can be filled through just such idols as those that we continue to manufacture. I have to admit, I've never bought a ticket to a movie theater to see a single such film, ever. Maybe I'm just cheap, I mean frugal, or maybe I don't care for crowds of people, or maybe I just don't have need to be distracted by a Hollywood fantasy that can't hold a candle to the reality of the most powerful defender of the weak that could possibly and does positively exist. This is a God who, as the theologians like to say, is imminent, present, always with us, requiring not even a moment's notice to come sweeping in. One problem, though, with this sort of God is that you have no privacy protection. As the psalmist observed, whither can I go from your presence? Where can I flee away from you? The answer is there's nowhere you can run. There's no place you can hide from an ever-present God. It's a bit like having a chaperone with you for the entire prom. That can be a bit of a buzzkill, but it can also help to keep you from getting into some dangerous situations. Imagine if more people took the imminence of God as seriously as we are invited to take it. Perhaps the Ten Commandments would stop being words 
etched into ancient stone tablets and given to a tribe of Hebrews in the Sinai Desert, celebrated and memorialized and replicated to be displayed in countless museums, and instead become the living laws of a king who reigns in the right here, right now, with and for us. As we reflected upon last week, the spirit, that which was poured out upon the disciples as they were gathered together in a room of Jerusalem, is the same spirit that has subsequently been made available to us. It's the means by which this God has chosen to continue to manifest his imminence to us even without the physical presence of Jesus until that great day when the Son does return, full of grace and power, to conquer once and for all the powers of sin and darkness which have been trying to claim this world for themselves for so very long. Our triune God has shown himself to be creative, vulnerable, and available in ways that no mortal could be and which no other deity would dare. And at the very heart and the center of it is a divine love. If we believe what God's inspired word tells us and what our faith tradition teaches us, then a very powerful, very loving God is our constant companion in all the hours, days, and seasons of our lives. And if that is indeed the case, then I would submit to you that also true is Scripture's rhetorical question, if God is with us, then who can be against us? In our Sunday school lesson this morning, uh, we were left to consider a question for next week when we'll take up the discussion of it. So to fill in the blank at the conclusion of this phrase, it says, when in doubt, blank. I thought to myself, what would I put in, in that blank? I would just say, don't doubt. While we don't always feel that way, we don't always feel victorious, we face daily obstacles and setbacks, the battle has indeed already been won for us. Since, as the Apostle Paul reminded his brothers and sisters in Rome, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We need not lose heart or become discouraged or doubt. The consequence of knowing the triune God as ready, willing, and able to save should inspire confidence in us as we face the daily challenges of this world. This is, I think, why having a day on which we consider intentionally the unique and special nature of a God who is Father, Son, and Spirit is, is a gift to the church. We are reminded of his manifold goodness and the many ways that he manifests that love to us, his children. And frankly, who couldn't stand a reminder of those things in today's world? 
Just as Jesus told his disciples on the night before his arrest that he had no secrets from them, but that they would have to be patient for the revealing of all things, we too find ourselves living between the times. We have been armed with the saving knowledge of God, and we await his further self-revelation to us when we can handle it, when we shall behold for ourselves that which the prophet Isaiah had been granted a glimpse of, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in full glory. Oh, what a day, and for that we may truly say, thanks be to God, and amen.